baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Chris and Amy on KMOX. The Michigan primary happened yesterday, as you can imagine. Donald Trump wins the Republican primary. Pretty significant amount of votes. Same thing for Joe Biden. We will talk about what all of it means as we go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. John Shaw, the director of the Paul Simon Public Public Policy Institute at SIU, is with us on KMOX. Good morning, John. Good morning. So uh, the thing that everybody has really focused on following the primary and I guess leading up to it as well is what this uncommitted number means. Uh, President Biden finishes with just over 80 percent of the vote, 81 percent. Meanwhile, uncommitted gets 13.3. And there was the concerted effort by a, a lot of Arab Americans who live in Michigan to vote against him or vote uncommitted in this protest vote. So the question is, what does that mean in terms of his support as the general election will happen a few months from now? I think if you're sitting in the White House, you have to be concerned. Uh, uh, Biden won Michigan by about 100,000 votes, maybe a little bit more in 2020. Um, And when you have 13 percent of the Democrats in Michigan say no, you know, not not happy, um, that's that's it has to be concerning. Now, I think the White House is is heartened that they have six or seven, eight months to to reach out to these groups and try to you know reestablish ties. But uh, but again, you know, of course, the issue that animated these people is the war in Gaza. Um, what they believe has been the White House's fairly um, unnuanced, uncritical support of Israel. Um, so I the White House clearly has been trying in recent weeks to pull back Prime Minister Netanyahu to alter Israel's policy um, in Gaza. But that is, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu is not particularly uh, – concerned about uh, Joe Biden's political predicament. So, so I mean, I think that, you know, the administration hopes that the war in Gaza is in a far different phase come November, but they don't have full control or even major control over that. So quick answer is I think they have to be very concerned by this vote because that would be enough to um, if these if these people continue this 13 or 12 percent continue to be adamant in opposing Biden's policy in Gaza and are willing to sit sit on their hands in November. That's a huge, huge problem for the White House. How much then of Biden's comments about hoping for a ceasefire, hoping that things calm down and a lot of those comments coming on Monday on the eve of the Michigan primary? How much of that approach now is being motivated by the fact that it's an election year versus what he would be saying were he maybe two years into a term? You know, I think both are in play. I mean, I, I you know, watch I've watched Biden pretty closely over the last you know quarter century, and I have reason to believe that he is not that he's troubled by um, 
by the war in Gaza on many, many levels, of course. But particularly, I think he's troubled by the fact that Israel does not apparently have the so-called day-after strategy in Gaza. I mean, once you've leveled that region, what happens next? So I have every reason to believe that Joe Biden, um, as a foreign policy analyst, is deeply concerned with Israel's um, policies. But I think he's also very, very concerned that this uh, – that 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 his you know involvement with uh, President or excuse me Prime Minister Netanyahu so far has really alienated him from a, a core constituency um, of the Democratic Party, particularly in uh, Michigan and several other states. So I think both factors are in play. I think uh, I think Biden would be saying this or feeling this in in any event, but I think it's particularly uh, intensified by the political situation right now. John Shaw, director of the Public uh, Policy Institute, the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute, is with us. I want to ask about what you mentioned uh, uh, a moment ago regarding our allyship with Israel and whether or not we have much influence, because a lot of people will say, hey, all you have to do is stop funding them unless they they handle this this Gaza situation in the way we want them to handle it. Is there even a realistic possibility that the United States would ever say to Israel, hey, you know all this billions in funding you get for military? You don't get it unless you do it the way we want you to do it. Is that even realistic to do? I think the history of the last, you know, six or seven decades would say no. I mean, you can occasionally make that threat, you know, uh, you know, typically quietly in in private meetings. But I think, you know, Israeli uh, leaders have a pretty clear sense of how American politics works. And they, they know that the administration, any administration, is not really going to pull the plug on support of Israel. So America's leverage over Israel is 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 modest, I would say, at best. And it's it's kind of one of the ironies of history that oftentimes when you have these relationships, it's, you know, the, the, the power that's that's less consequential on paper that oftentimes exerts the most influence. And in this case, you know, I think the United States political system has signaled pretty clearly for the last six or seven decades that it's fully support of Israel. And I don't think even veiled threats of a substantial reduction in that aid will be something that would be particularly concerning to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I mean, he he plays hardball. You know, during the Obama administration, he was overtly going around the administration's back and reaching out to Republicans in Congress and, and frankly, undermining the Obama administration's foreign policy, uh, particularly as it pertained to Iran. And he did it with seeming impunity. So American leverage on Israel is very modest, I believe. Moving over to the Republican side, Nikki Haley has said that she will stay in the race at least until Super Tuesday, which is March 5th this year. And what do you to what do you ascribe her motivation for staying in the race to be the Republican nominee, even though it seems very clear that Trump is running away with it? I think it's just, uh, you know, I think for we, we need to kind of pull back and realize for many, many months, more than a year, you know, Nikki Haley was 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 running for president, you know, in the shadows of, you know, many other candidates was being largely ignored. And in the last you know month or so, she's on center stage with Donald Trump um, and she's had a chance to 
you know, lay out her vision of the country and to respond to the Trump candidacy. So she's had center stage um, and has been given a platform that she was seeking for, you know, more than a year. So it makes sense that at least to play this out until Super Tuesday. At that point, you know, if the numbers are just completely prohibitive, you know, she probably should, you know, recalibrate. But as often has been said, you know, in American politics, people drop out of races largely because they're out of money as opposed to uh, lack of votes. And I think that, you know, up to now, Haley's had enough funding, although there's been recent indications that some big funders are pulling back. So so I think, you know, Haley, she's had a stage. I, th- I think she's clearly thinking, you know, four, ro- four years down the road. And it wants to use, you know, her time in the sun to establish herself with Republican voters, but also doesn't want to overstay her welcome and be seen as kind of a, a malcontent. So I think she's going to she's going to push hard for the next week or so. And then after Super Tuesday, obviously, she's going to have to pull back and do a serious reassessment. In, in an interview yesterday evening, she said, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, that maybe uh, it's possible the Republican Party has just moved away from her ideals and now are what Trump's ideals are. Is that the case? Is is the Republican Party just no longer what it used to be? I think that is the case. I mean, I, I could give you a long and complex answer, but I think that is the case. I mean, just, you know, Donald Trump has fundamentally transformed the Republican Party and some of the, you know, the essential planks of its agenda, you know, he, he does not subscribe to. And and the party leaders have kind of given him a pass, whether that's on fiscal issues or trade or or other issues, you know, Donald Trump, I do not think you can really argue is a conservative, uh, certainly in the way that a Ronald Reagan was or maybe a George um, George W. Bush. So so he's shifted the Republican Party in a very big way. And Republican leaders have largely decided to to kind of quietly go along. I mean, I'm sure that I know from as being a congressional reporter, there's a lot of grumbling behind the scenes. But uh, but Republican leaders have decided that the best thing to do is to just go along and hope that at some point this era ends and there can be a recalibration of the party. But right now, this is Donald Trump's uh, Republican Party. There's no doubt about it. John Shaw, good to talk to you again. We appreciate your information as always. My pleasure. Thank you so much. John Shaw is the director of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at SIUE. He was a congressional reporter for about 20 years or so, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very good stuff. So good information, good insights, and we appreciate it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.